Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. My name's Alice Clemens. I'm here with Campbell Flakemore. And if you haven't already, MAP's got a new high summer jersey capsule, Campbell, which is a business buzzword. Which is a business buzzword I found out from our in house MAP consultant, James Cummings, that that means a collection of new jerseys. Is there a number for it to be? I don't think there's a number, but as always, I got to mint new colors out. Some fresh, fresh kit for the summer months. Today on the podcast, we uh, we did an interview with Paolo Manaspa, your former sports scientist, and yours. Um, we he, just a few stats on his uh, his work. He's got thirty international publications. So if you put him in a Google Scholar, does he do them in English or Italian? Uh, English, locals? English. Yeah. yeah, he worked at Mitchell and Scott. He's now at Cycling Australia as a head of performance solutions. He'll tell you what that means in the podcast. Talk about a lot of things from his AIS days. Talk about working with Caleb on that sprint posse. He was kind of during that phase when Caleb started putting his chin on the ground. Um, and yeah, but first of all, an update from you on the Sufferfest. Yeah, week nine is in the books. It was the last week of proper work before I do the test next week. Are you putting the body on ice now? It's pretty much. It's just sort of some tapering sessions next week and then the test is on on Saturday, so just a few easy ones through the week. But yeah, week nine, the last little bit of work, three sessions again. Um, probably the hardest one was was called the downward spiral, um, fifty four minutes. So working on working on pretty much everything, but mostly my MAP, Alex, which is that that five minute kind of kind of power, that above threshold, but um, something that I can probably maintain for five minutes. So a good session, um, and yeah, I, I mean the. The work's done, which is which is great, and looking forward to the four DP next week. And the four DP, the five minutes, the second one. You do two sprints at the start, and then you do a five minute block, then a bit of recovery, twenty minute block, and then you finish with a one minute all out after all that. So it's yeah, right. pretty, it's, it goes for an hour. It's a, it's a really tricky tricky session. And so. everything's just full noise. Everything, no full nonsense. No, no, nah, nah, the recovery is full recovery. The work is full work. So. Yeah, I mean, the work's done now. Are you a bit scared now uh, that you know what's involved after the first one? Yeah, the first one was horrific. Um, I think this one should be a little bit better just because I'm a little bit more conditioned, but in theory, it should be just as hard. So, looking forward to it. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> All the best, Canvas. Thank you, Alex. And yeah, we hope you enjoy the podcast with Paolo. Well, welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast. Paolo. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for inviting what, me. What are you doing in Melbourne? Um, it's, a, it's a work trip, but also visiting family. Uh, I had a commitment uh, last week. Today's Saturday. I had a commitment last week in the wind tunnel, and next week there is the applied physiology conference. So I kind of combined the two work trips into a longer trip, and we are visiting family. So you've got a pretty long research Palmares stat sheet. I've got here, you've got 30, 30 international publications. Uh, if you type in, type your name into Google Scholar, you come up everywhere. You worked at MAPAI, you worked at MAPAI for seven years, Mitchelton Scott for six. You're now at Cycling Australia and you've been there for a while now in other roles. Yeah. Um, how, how, did you, how did you get into research? How did you get into sports science? Uh, let, let, let me say straight up that, um, yeah, well, thanks for 
for the introduction and, and thinking it's good <laughs> uh, in the academia or in the research uh, world. I don't, I don't think it's much. Um, I think I've been decent at uh, juggling the double uh, commitments because for a period I've been, you know, I've never been a full-time researcher. I've always been working in sport and trying to uh, use some of the data we collect or put together um, some, some research project with, you know, with colleagues and uh, via collaborations. And so I, I think I managed all right. But again, in, in, the, in the research area, like um, the, some people are really amazing. Um, having said that, I, I did um, start because when I was at MAPEI, um, I think our uh, Franco Impellizzeri, who in, in, interestingly is now in Sydney, is a professor with the University of Technology in Sydney. I think he moved about two years ago. Uh, he, he was the one uh, passionate about research and, and, and driving the research agenda at MAPEI. Uh, he actually started publishing before Aldo Sassi did. Aldo Sassi was the director of the center and was Cadel Evans' coach. Um, and anyway, so I, I guess sharing the office or sharing the, the work environment with them. Um, yeah, kind of, not, I don't say jealous, but I think, oh, these guys are pretty cool. They publish things and they, <laughs> and they publish stuff in English. They even can write in English. That's incredible. Um, so I just got to, yeah, interested. Well, of course, I, I already had my sports. You were a I, I already had my sports science degree and all of that. I completed uh, my studies uh, in Milan and all of that yeah. as well. Mm. You wrote, for, you wrote for Italy for as a junior. Yeah, correct. You've done your research. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's lots on you on Google. It's it's, um, it's, uh, it's stuff from like past millennium, you know, nineteen got, uh, ninety something. Uh, uh, but yeah, what, what did I write down the year? I think he eighty nine. And I think it was yeah, no, the other way around, ninety eight. Ninety eight. Uh, and um, yeah, so I I I raced in the team pursuit and uh, we. Pozzato would be like yeah. the, the most famous cyclist uh, racing in the in the team pursuit with us, and um, I think that year in '98, uh, Bradley Wiggins won, won the individual pursuit. So like there, there were some big names in the in the velodrome. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was cycling like then? Um, I thought about it <laughs> not long ago because partially because I was in the wind tunnel looking at the spikes and. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, yeah, when I was a cyclist, far out, we just had spoke wheels and, uh, well, at least in training. And, um, yeah, well, but the sport is the sport. I mean, it, it, it's probably similar, uh, but lots, lots has changed, yeah. But uh, in terms of the riders, was it big, still a big European focus then, not too many outside yeah, probably, the EU? Yes. Well, 1998 would have been... Um, I would guess that Italy still had maybe the, the highest number of uh, professional team would have been like Italian or French or things like that, and which is still a, uh, which is probably the reason why up until now in a lot of teams there are a lot of Italian speaking staff. It's just a, you know a, a long wave and a fat of those, those uh, late nineties, early two thousand when cycling w was predominantly a, a, a European sport. Yeah, yeah. And the Mape Center, it's yeah. it's still. Still the MAPE center that we used to go to? Um, I, I, I had to think which one you were you used to go. It's not yeah. the, the one where I used to work. Yeah. Um, but again, I do not remember in, <laughs> in which one you, you would go. I think the center moved around 2012. Mm. So I worked at MAPE center until 2011, and the following years they, they just changed location. Uh, but I still uh, sometimes ride in a MAPE kit. And everybody in the office, like when I come in, look at me like, "Oh, that, that's colorful." <laughs> uh, actually, uh, last week I think the Mapei, um, the president, uh, passed away, mm. and um, 
Yeah. So so I pull pull out my my pack kit and I've been riding pr- proudly since. You mentioned Cadell Evans was there when you yeah. started. Yeah. How old was he? What was he doing? Uh, again, would have been around 2005. Um, I, I was lucky enough because uh, in my in my career, um, probably the first Australian cy- or the f- almost the first cyclist I, I worked with were like Cadell Evans, Mick Roger, and you know, uh, big names in Australia. And um, and to me, they were just pe- not just, but they were the the, the, the customer, the person coming to the lab for testing, which is uh, was great. And um, uh, luckily, I think Aldo Sassi took me a bit of a, I don't know, I guess he wanted to kind of to mentor me. I, I feel like he was kind of looking after me. So generally, I was always the one in the lab um, helping w- when the, these big names were coming. Um, potentially, because some of, the, yeah, like Franco in Pellizzeri, I mentioned him before, and Ermano Rampinini was the, the head of yeah, the research uh, currently. Uh, I think they were all passionate about soccer more than cycling. So when I started, it was like, oh, you're going to be leading the cycling thing. Well, not not leading, but anyway. Um, so I think it was just kind of looking after me. So I've been, yeah, testing Cadell and uh, yeah, it's great. What was he like? Um, Is he a mountain biker or a road rider then? No, it was a road, 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 ride, yeah. road rider. I, I would say it was a... Uh, an interesting uh, period because now I don't have the chronology set in mind, but if you, if you go and check, 2005 when I started, uh, Cadell was, uh, uh, if you want, I need to find a nice way to say it, but it was popular for the lack of success. He, didn't, he, he, he finished second a number of times. There was this famous uh, Giro d'Italia when he was in pink jersey, and then one day he had like this... Uh, I think it was like he bonked, he had like a hunger flat. And uh, anyway, he lost the, the jersey, it was a big thing at Mape, and everybody used to talk about that as you know, a big anecdote. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so, yeah, Cadell was, yeah, there, there was this uh, w- w- almost, I don't know, I can't say what, uh, I don't know what Cadell was thinking, but I would say like Aldo Sassi was dreaming a lot about Cadell. And we, I, I don't want to say that Aldo believed in Cadell more than Cadell did, but certainly Aldo was pushing a lot and was like, yeah, he was the one at least in the lab, saying, Cadell, can we do to the France? And yeah. But at that stage, again, the, resu- well, the results were great. But, you know, in cycling, unfortunately, you either win or you're losing. Mm. It's like, no, like, we, we really don't celebrate a second place, which is probably not great because we should. It's always still a good performance, but we really don't celebrate a second place, do we? No, it's all, it's all, it's all about the number one spot. Was, were his numbers amazing? Like did we did you come into the lab and see this guy's numbers? Yeah, and you're like, wow. yeah absolutely. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Think you, uh, I would have not thought about that. in when you mentioned number, so I thought um, you j- just came on a bit of a yeah, like skin folds. I do remember checking his skin folds. <laughs> He's always so skinny. That was incredible. Yeah, like he, he was absolutely yeah, probably one of the skinniest person I've seen. Yeah, and and he's actually quite big if you think about. He's like quite he, built. Big, yeah. His big legs and yeah, a fair bit of muscles, but again, like so skinny. And what was your role at MAPE then? Um, well, I started just as a, if you want, a lab technician, just yeah, like doing VO2 max test, and uh, that was my when I started. Then I started coaching. Um, and actually, I think I started coaching my the first pro cyclist around 2009, so like a, a few years later. Um, yeah, that, that, and, then, and then later on, I, but it's probably less interesting for, the, for, for your listener. I, I managed the quality, uh, the um, quality system 
uh, which is, was an interesting role. I learned a lot about calibration and, and yeah. making sure that the, the, the output is, is of good quality. And he's still using, I should imagine he's still using a lot of those skills, I guess, as yeah. power meters and more of this yeah, continues to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in, in, clearly in the research, uh, when you do research, you do care about uh, quality and so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. getting those That's SRMs yeah, yeah. on track. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, when did the Mitchelton Scott, or was it Mitchelton Scott or Cycling Australia that came first? Uh, Cycling Australia because they um, kind of co-founded my PhD. Okay. So what happened? Um, well, uh, I'll make it very short. And uh, how it, it all happened? Tell us all. Tell us everything. What happened? No, in um, around twenty ten, I think, or twenty eleven, I've heard of this Australian team that was uh, uh, going to happen, and I've already knew again um, because Cadell used to come there, and also the national team. I think at that uh, stage it was called SouthAustralia.com yeah. was the sponsor of the team. Um, they used to come for assessment, and and um, so I, I I knew Dave Martin was the uh, physiologist uh, at the AIS, and um, and who later became my PhD supervisor. Anyway, when I heard of Green Edge um, happening as a team, I thought maybe I can almost as a not, not as a joke, but I thought like it's not going to happen. But I'm going to ask if I, I ask if I can send my CV. You know yeah. what I mean? I won't even send the CV. I ask if it, if it makes sense or not. So I asked Dave, can I send, you know, any suggestions? Should I send my CV? And Dave came back, like, totally unexpected, say, would you like to do a PhD in Australia? And <laughs> which is, wasn't even, wasn't the answer to the question I asked. Um, but, yeah, which I thought, yeah, I thought it was an interesting offer. And eventually, yeah, I accept. Well, it's not that you accept. I had to apply for, for a scholarship, but then it all came together. And so I did my PhD and Cycling Australia. So that, that's where Cycling Australia co-founded my PhD. And um, so I started in uh, August, July, August 2011. Uh, the old, probably that's where actually you've been at Incastrono, in the Italian base in, in Castrono. Yeah. yeah. How did yeah. you, uh, was that your first experience outside of Cadell working with Australians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ap- apart from the, the the laboratory, because as I say, the Mick Roger used to come there. The, we, had, we had a number. Of, yeah, the, the national team used to come there. Uh, both men and female cyclists used to. Yeah, the the national teams, um, because they, I think they, they. No, I think I'm sure they were sponsored by Mapei as well. Yeah, you, you would see old Mape, uh, Australian jerseys with the Mapei sponsor, and. Um, but yeah, th- then there was that next step when I actually left Mapei and I was under percent with the. Uh, or oh, 50% with Cycling Australia because that 50% was Edith Cowan University with, um, for, for the PhD. Yeah. Which PhD was this? Um, I studied uh, pretty well, it's in sports science, and I studied, pre- I, I focused on, this, on sprint performances. There wasn't much published before, and still there isn't much published on sprint performances. I, th- I feel it's a bit of a uh, hard topic. So one of the reasons why it's hard to research is just because there are not many sprinters. Like imagine you're working with one team, you generally have one one sprinter or two. So if you need to publish something, generally you target at least 10, 15 subjects, and it's difficult to get a publication when you have access to one or two sprinters. Mm. Um, but we found some way around it, and uh, so we, we did get some publications. And, and this, and this publication got quoted, referenced quite a bit. I don't know. In the media, yeah. Well, like when you when you Google your name and you work, this is this is the one. Well, especially cycling publications picked up a lot on this. They seem to always reference the Cavendish v Goss in the World Championships, where yeah, okay. Cav started to yeah. apply that aero position. Yeah, 
Um, can you can you explain what you did and what yeah. you found? Well, well that, that's a very specific um, case you're talking about, but uh, I think actually that's where um, a bit of creativity and, and again luck comes together to get some interesting outcome eventually. Uh, so what happened there? Uh, the, in the World Championship, th those were like in September 2011. So I just started my PhD. Uh, clearly, I knew that I wanted to study sprint. So that's all I, I was paying attention to. And the, the World Championship finished with a sprint where Goss finished second. And I, I would say the gap between the Cavendish and Goss was less than a half a wheel or something like that. So it was clearly a relatively close call. And um, and from some photos, you you could see that the if you want the front frontal area of Cavendish was much smaller than Goss, which made us, me or us, think like potentially, well, Cavendish is more aerodynamic. What, what if Goss, you know, would have had the same aerodynamic aerodynamics characteristics of, of Cavendish? And what if, so we, um, together with some colleagues and other sports scientists, we, we, we mo tried to model the performance and came out with some ridiculous number. You know, Goss could have won by 15 meters. <laughs> so surely, surely not. Like, it's, it's, but but that, that's where it started. And um, the same, the same off-season, we were back in Australia and um, we had a wind tunnel session on Monash. I still, I still remember it very well uh, at Monash. And... Uh, I think historically, at least in Australia, and to my knowledge, not many road sprinters have been in a wind tunnel. You know, wind tunnel, it's pretty expensive and it's difficult to book. And you, when you find, and generally you test time trialists and you test time trial bikes and everything is about time trials. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, it, the, the wind tunnel was booked for time trialists. Uh, but one, one of them actually had an issue, not an issue, a personal issue. I think he actually had to go shopping with a girlfriend or something like that. <laughs> it was seriously a silly decision, but whatever, you know, cyclists <laughs> make last minute call. Um, he, 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 went, he went shopping. So yeah, this was like magic for me. So like we, we have one hour and a half, two hours, we can actually get another cyclist and the other cyclist, well, I pushed for, oh, let's get Goss in, in the wind tunnel. So we, we went with we, we, uh, we Goss in the tunnel and we tested some, some positions. And uh, well, and, and the earlier results were kind of confirmed what we modeled. Like, you know, if you could sprint in a, in a, in a uh, I don't know, call it silly position or an extreme position, the gain might be actually massive. Um, and, and, and I think kind of finished there because uh, um, I wasn't working with Matt Goss. Uh, so I don't know what you know what, what he did with the results. Potentially he didn't. Maybe he tried in training. Maybe he didn't. But I've never seen him sprinting in that position. But then, probably a couple of years later, I was working with the under twenty three program um, with the national team, and and Caleb was in was in the team. And I I, I can't remember I can't remember the moment where I talked to him uh, about you know trying to are you interested in coming in the tunnel? But I do remember chatting with you know my supervisors. Uh, can we actually put, take another sprint? Because up until then, if you want, it was un, not unsuccessful because there are, the results have been interesting, but it, it, the research, let's say, has, hasn't, changed, hasn't changed the practice. And so if, you, if there is no change in practice, it's kind of a, maybe a waste of research, if you want. Um, so I kind of pushed, oh, can we get Caleb in the tunnel? We did it, and we saw that the results were kind of confirmed. We did it, you know, we can actually... Um, change practice and then we we had other cyclists in in the tunnel um testing the same position and you know it just we, which actually very recently we we did publish we did publish a, a study so it took like 
four years to get published uh, because it was no one's job, but we were all interested by no one's job. So it took four years to get the paper out. But anyway, uh, well, the, the difference there was probably that maybe Caleb was more invested, was more interested uh, uh, for a period I was I was coaching him, um, and I think it took 12 months anyway between when we actually went in the tunnel. I, I do not remember the date, but um, I think it would have been around 2014 um, to, to when he actually, the first time he actually used it on the road. And, um, and again, the difference is that probably he believed in the results, he wanted to try, he went back home and he actually tried, and he practiced, practiced, practiced until when he was actually, I guess, maybe also comfortable and confident in doing it in... Uh, on the road in a race, and uh, and so that, that's a, that, that's a, yeah an, exp- an example of where research actually changed some practice with some cool so you, results. You are the reason that Caleb Ewan sprints so aerodynamically. Uh, I, I would say the reason why sprints aerodynamically because it's sprinting in an aerodynamics position is actually potentially gives you an advantage. So yeah, the reason why he does it is because it actually gives him gives him an advantage. Yeah. yeah. But that's gonna be my podcast headline, like <laughs> the man behind Caleb's sprinting position. Yeah, well, well, what, um, I would disagree on that. Have you? And, and anyway, it, yeah, again, it goes the, the the credit goes to him in in having um, trained and practiced and uh, being able to actually get in that position. And more recently, a student um, at Irikawa University that I'm supervising, Paul Mercas, has done uh, kind of a follow up stu- a number of follow up studies on the position and. Um, because the classic question is like, oh, nobody can sprint in the position. It's only, it's only Caleb. Well, and this guy, also this guy, Paul, uh, this student. Um, <laughs> a bit bad, sorry. Uh, no, anyway, Paul has done an amazing job. And um, he, he, he pretty much did a, a, a research on, uh, on this, if you want, on the skill acquisition side of things to, to prove that uh, other subjects can, can get in the position. And he also tested, which is the uh, second most popular question is like, do you lose power? Mm. And um, in the subject that he, for his study, they didn't lose power. So the, the, the subjects were able to maintain the same power output and given the aerodynamic advantage, then you actually, there is a clear um, gain in, in speed. Yeah. What was Caleb like to work with? Uh, uh, good, fun. I don't know. It is certainly, a, when you work with a, Let's put it this way. This is actually one of the things that Sassi, Aldo Sassi taught me. You know, he, he, the best thing, a successful coach just picks successful cyclists. So <laughs> if you have a, a cyclist that actually wins bike races, like you can't ask for anything more than that. Like it's great. Uh, unless you stuffed up big time, you, you are safe. So it was great. And um, apart from that, no, it's, it's good. I think, it's, you know, extremely motivated with inner motivation, uh, which makes things easy. Uh, I, yeah, I think he's a, just a genuine guy. He's honest and yeah, he doesn't mind. Well, you know him probably more than I know him because you've been sharing. But in, but in terms yeah. of you work, like working with him, like yeah. he's him adopted. Like obviously he took that on. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure there are a number of things that maybe he didn't. Uh, that's a good question <laughs> for him. Um, and it, to be fair, it it also looks like it, more recently his position is he, not adopting that position. Uh, as much as he used to. Not, not as aggr- it doesn't look as, yeah. as aggressive as it did. Yeah. Remember when he first yeah, yeah, started yeah. doing it, he's pretty much, his head was on the ground. Yeah. But now, I don't know if he's... Yeah. I wonder, you know, you know the, the the first stage he won at the Tour de France, yeah. he won by like five centimetres. Yeah. Like, like, oh, maybe you should have been in that position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Um, yeah, I'm really pleased that he's winning though. Yeah, it's great to see. 
And then Mitchell and Scott, back then it was called Green Edge, yep. started. Were you a part of that from the get-go? Um, n- not really. As I said, I... Uh, I w- is the reason I'm in Australia? Because it's, I, I wanted to send a CV, but then I was involved more with Cycling Australia and doing my, um, in, during the PhD and the under-23. What, what I, when I started with the, pretty much during my PhD, around uh, 2011 and 12, I worked, with, during the, off-se- the road off-season, I was back in, in the Adelaide office. Mm. I was working with the uh, Team Pursuit program. And... Um, uh, at that stage, uh, Michael Hepburn uh, was he was in the team, and after London 2012, uh, I believe at the end of the season he asked me if I wanted to coach him, uh, which uh, I, I certainly did not expect that, uh, but I was super pleased, and that's uh, so. Following that that request or that decision in 2013, I started to be involved in all because he was a Green Edge cyclist, um, so I started to be involved in all the. You know, in the Green Edge conversation, Skype call and training camps or things like that. So in 2013 is where I started uh, being involved. Mm. Yeah. And then when ha- that progressed into an actual role there? Uh, yes, eventually. Yeah. Well, it was a role with the coaching. That's that's a role yeah. in itself. Um, but then, um, yeah, it, it evolved. I coached a higher number of cyclists. Um, and then more recently when... Um, for, for uh, um, employment reason, if you want. Well, anyway, I, I, I finished my post. I can't remember the, the dates now, but I finished my postdoc or the founding from CA. You know, the, you, you sometimes you sign for two or three years, whatever. Then the founding finished. And, uh, and, they, um, and basically, Mitchelton Scott took, took on that, that uh, part of my salary. I, I, I went from 50% Edith Cow University and 50% CA. So Cycling Australia stopped paying or founding that position and Green Edge started. So then it became a, a shared position, ECU and Mitchelton Scott. Mm. So yeah, and, and the position, I, I uh, if you want, my role became a bit broader because there was like a performance manager role, where, which is kind of in between the cyclist and uh, the sports science group and the, and the coaches. And um was still coaching a few cyclists and and then I was um, also playing a bit the role of sports scientist, mostly with the under twenty three program and the and the women team. Yeah. yeah. What do you did you did you always have that passion for sports science? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. And but like when once you kind of experienced that more coaching, the more management role that you had at Middleton Scott, was there still is there always that underlying? passion for research passion for sports science um i i guess that's a good question i guess what the um, the, the the curiosity of you know finding something new or like what or, or maybe maybe that's what drives the interest for you know you always check i don't know if you want but you always check uh pubmed or like you know google scholar to see oh is there any new research or so i guess that's yeah just um if it becomes almost like your procrastination thing, what do I do? Oh, let, let's see if there is any anything new out there. And and, and I guess maturing or becoming older now, I think a bit more, instead of being attracted by the novelty, maybe I'm more attracted by what actually has a bigger impact. I, yeah. I try to focus, because there are a lot of stuff that's new, but maybe it's not better than the old. <laughs> and um, yeah, we were chatting just before starting the podcast, you know, to be a champion. In reality, sometimes it's a boring activity. You just need to train hard, recover 
eat eat well and sleep day mm. day in day out. It's you know it's it's not the it's not the new thing. It's not the uh, let's change it. Let's make it different. It's just not. Nah, you just need to train hard. You just need to recover and eat and sleep. And yeah. So so I now try to focus again a bit more on uh, what has a bigger impact. Yeah, coaching Michael Hepburn, and I believe you're also coaching Jack Haig for a period there yeah. too. Yeah. How did you find that experience? Uh, I guess like you're you're in control of their their job. Their performance, in a in a in a sense, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I um, I, I would say my approach. Well, it's a great experience. They both uh, like great humans, yeah. uh, on and top of and, and cyclists, world class athletes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. And again, back to the, the quote from before. You know, it's yeah. easy when you get like <laughs> athletes are so good. Your job it's um, becomes easier again. Um, I was going to say, um, no, it was, it was great. Uh, and, and my approach to coaching, especially with those athletes which are experienced and they're like, you know, they're already at a high level, has always been kind of a, a, a open, open, based on open discussion and uh, um, try, trying to almost to, to, to share what's my training philosophy is um, and um, to... Kind of trying to empower the other themselves to you know to to understand themselves a bit more and in case making decision. If you want, I should probably also kind of say that we we, we say coaching because I guess often the term coach is the one who actually write the training plan. Mm. But depending on different people, they might call it different in a different way. Someone refers to like that job more of a trainer because mm. the coach is actually the one you know face to at least in track cycling. What we the coach is actually the one on the track side and you know. Uh, looking at the athletes in the eye and making the, the judgment on the fatigue level, the next effort, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is probably the, the actual definition of coaching. Well, what I was doing, just for logistical reason, like I, I was living in half in Italy and half in Australia, and these guys were living in Spain uh, for a period of the. the, the so, like, yeah. Um, so, I, I think in that specific situation, the best way to, to support them is actually, again, share your knowledge making sure that they understand the, the training principle what we uh, agree on some uh, on the big goals and how to achieve them and because again just the when you are on the other side of the world they might get up one day and either not feel great or the weather is different than what they thought that the training session needs to be uh, modified and and I, I i'd like to think that the athletes can make the, the call themselves and would be like a reasonable decision mm. do you think that's applicable so, throughout like through kind of because these guys are the top, the top. Um, is is that is that a philosophy that you think should be applied to all age groups? It's a very good question. I'm not even sure it's the best <laughs> philosophy with with them in general. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know because I do think that some at some stage, and there are actually publications on that. At some stage. Um, what makes you better is actually doing something that you're really not keen on doing. Mm. And an example could be, you know, on a training session, you plan to do five efforts, but then the coach says, like, you have to do seven last minute. They, they, they force you to do an extra two. Or, yeah, just the last minute change or doing that extra bit, um, which probably doesn't happen if the, if the coach is on the other side of the world and if you're just doing what's written in a training plan. Um so, so I, I think there is that combination, and as a matter of fact, yeah, I actually discussed it when I when I 
changed the job. I decided, you know, discussed with Happy and Jack on like probably I, I felt like I, I should have not kept coaching them. Mm. And uh, so we discussed about it. And uh, in explaining and talking about the future, we, we I, I, um, I imagine, or I don't know, I, I, I suggested that maybe it's going to be good because if you're less comfortable with the next coach, if you're coached by someone that you know a bit less, because eventually, like, you know, between 2013 to 2018, we've been a coach happy for five years. Mm. And then you become almost like, I don't want to say too friendly, but it's, you develop a relationship where there is so much understanding that then maybe you're a bit soft. Yeah. And uh, and some at some stage with with coaches you need to be hard and say you know I'm, I'm sorry but you actually need to do it even if you're tired <laughs> or even if you know. and I'm certainly not saying that these guys were lazy in any way but whatever the call is sometimes you need um, you, you you do and I probably need someone as well like, you know in life you do need someone telling me like, you know you you do not wash the dishes now whether you want or not yeah. it's time of doing it because it needs to be done. Um, so I don't, yeah, when you went every every category, every age, every, I don't, I don't yeah, there would be a, a mix. The, I think it's important to be able to make your own call and know yourself and having, um, owning your performance, uh, you know, owning, making your decision, et cetera, et cetera. But there are also like some moments where it's good to have someone else making them for you. Mm, that cold, windy day where you're a bit fatigued in the back end of the week and yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, oh, Paolo's written this, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mitchell and Scott, or Green Edge to Mitchell and Scott to every other sponsor they've had in between. Have you seen that develop from a, a scientific perspective? So I, I imagine the sports science department or whatever you want to call it, the medical department at the start was very different to what it is today. Uh, certainly, yes. Actually, today <laughs> today is amazing. Um, <laughs> I've had a chat not long ago. I think they, they have a very good structure there. there yeah. And um, we have a chat not long ago with some of the guys. And, uh, yeah, I think they have a great structure and they, yeah, it keeps improving and evolving, which is great to see. Um, well, when it started, I, I believe it was probably just one person. It would have been Mark Quad, who, um, yeah, he's was, was, was actually a great guy. And he's still, yeah, I can't remember his actual title, but he would be the head of the, the sports science department. And uh, But again, back then, it would have been himself. Um, so certainly, it has evolved a lot. And um, I can't remember exactly what the question was. Like, yeah. But it, yeah, as... Yeah. I think there's more sports science in sport in general, just yeah. probably acro across, um, you know, not just cycling. There's there's so much data now, like many teams have like, you know, data analysts just looking at, just to collect the files and look at them and provide feedback to the coaches or sport directors. And have you, Is there something now that you're like, wow, like that has changed significant, significantly since within the last five to 10 years? Something that's really changed the game? Um, I think that yeah, there is the ability to call to have access to a lot of information, and then whether it's from power meter or heart rate or heart rate variability, yeah, you have like access to a lot of information about the the, the fatigue level of the athlete. You could make some call like pretty much straight away, or trying to um, to, to to make decision like on the uh, um, acutely, like in the in the short term, whether what you eat the next day to be, to improve the recovery and all of that, which potentially, uh, and, and maybe they existed, you know, for sure they were, those decisions were made 5, 10, 20 years ago, but now they're kind of backed by evidence. Mm. 
Yeah. So your job now at Cycling Australia. Yep. You are head of performance solutions. That's a job title. What does that mean? That's a good question. Um, it, it, in, in practical term, it's it's a job where I, um, I, I pretty much I'm in between the coaches and the performance support staff. Um, we have a lot of um, you know specialists. If you want the physiologists, the nutritionists, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and uh, um, trying to coordinate what we what the performance support group uh, can deliver and what the coaches wants and needs. Mm. If you want, yeah. So day to day work. What, what are you working on at the moment? Um, I'm working on a on a number of things. Okay, you tell I try us. top secret. No, no, no. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a big, the biggest uh, fan of secrets. I, I, th- I think this. I think the secret or the, the the tough stuff is actually applying whatever the secret is, you mm. know, you call it aerodynamics or like in the example, the sprint before or nutrition. Or I think the t- tough stuff is actually applying it because if you, the, 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 almost the, all, all the knowledge is out there. You Google it, you'll find out. But then it's just tough day in, day out doing it. And uh, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of keeping secret or not revealing things that I don't think, but that's a bit of a different story for what you ask me. You ask me what I do. Um, I try to give you this. Um, I, 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 I'm a domestic. If let's say that we in our performance support group, huh? mm. so all the stuff, you know, again, nutritionist, uh, uh, physiotherapist. Uh, let, let's imagine that we are a, a cycling team. Um, a, everyone else has a specialty. You know, the the, the physiotherapist is your sprinter, blah blah blah. Uh, and I, I'm I'm a domestic, and uh, I use this example to explain, like, to explain. Uh, um, kind of my role uh, I don't think it's it's any harder than your uh, uh, other role it's just harder for me to explain because imagine if you are a sprinter well, what do you do you sprint if you're a climber you climb so in the same way if you're a nutritionist yeah. you work on nutrition uh, in my role uh, I kind of need to see what the situation is back to the cycling cycling team example if there is a breakaway maybe we need to make a call do we close the gap or we leave the breakaway out if there is a bike crash we need to understand who crashed do i give them my wheel my front wheel my my frame my bike is it hot do i need to go back and get the bidons because that's a priority or i need to get rain jackets so uh, again i don't think it's any more difficult the job in itself is just i just find it a bit difficult to describe mm. uh, there is again we are in a complex environment with all these needs needs from the athletes or, or wants from the athletes the coach and, and and then there is the reality of what we can deliver with the performance support group and i'm in between and again like domestic um i'm trying to do the, the best i can to make sure that we can win the bike race yeah and see, this is all towards Tokyo. This is part of the Olympic yeah. campaign for the track. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Let me say, j- just because you said it's all toward Tokyo, which shit is, but um, th- there is also um, a, a decent amount of time spent thinking, um, yeah, thinking ahead of that, like 2024 and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the yeah, not everything stops in, in, in August yeah. 2020 or September 2020 with the Paralympic Games. Um, yeah, so we, we do spend a fair bit of time uh, planning and making, su- and making sure that there is a, a, a strategy following that. But I, I would say it's, it's all going well um, for, for Tokyo, yeah. Yeah. Of what are you, like, within, I assume there's a research budget 
for Cycling Australia give you a research budget or is, is that the pathway that you're kind of looking after where that goes or is it more dealing with the athletes themselves? Uh, I would say neither. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is, no, it's all right. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially if we're talking about research, um, as we, we've referred before, like research, the actual research is generally published paper, mm. um, which... Maybe um, not so much research, yeah, okay. it's like the... Kind of handlebars on the yeah, bikes like and w- w- what, what discs the, do yeah, you use, that kind of stuff. What's generally referred to as like R&D, research yeah. and development. Yeah. So, we, yeah. Uh, so there's certainly a, a budget there. Um, and it, it, it does fall under the performance support group, but uh, it's probably managed. We, um, by, we have a group of engineers that they work more clearly on the on all the equipment side of things. Um, and, uh, and again, in my role with the uh d- domestic role i I'm, I'm really behind the scenes like I, i'm i'm not often in the athlete's face um the, the yeah the athletes don't see me as much as they see the specialists because they are the one actually delivering they are the one you know the, the nutritionist is the person talking with to the athletes uh about whatever it's needed rather than me so i'm, I'm kind of i don't know if you want coordinating or trying to see what's the biggest need uh trying to uh, assess um where we can have the biggest impact mm. and, and and actually because you asked between now and tokyo we, we are so close i mean it's nine months nine months to go um sometimes it's almost like what can we stop uh, yeah. What can we stop doing to make sure that we actually focus on the on the big thing? Uh, not it, it's so easy to get distracted and uh, excited about you know oh that, this is so interesting maybe it works maybe maybe we should try but and then yeah we just all need to sit and think well which we do and we, we say no hey nine months ago we know what we are doing we tried it and now it's just time to deliver and 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 do what we we know yeah is can you share what, like the biggest change that you've made your team the biggest is there been something that's significantly differed from the Rio Olympics in their preparation? Um, w- one thing which I imagine I've had an impact, of, certainly from a chronological, you know, if you look at the calendar, it has happened after I started. And um, uh, I, I imagine, uh, well, I, I imagine I might have had an, uh, an impact in, in sharing my thought, um, which is a good thing and maybe it would have happened anyway. Um, for example, now our um, track endurance group, they, they work together. Uh, not that they, they, they did work together anyway before, but um, for a couple of years and before, you, you asked before Rio. So let's yeah. go before Rio, the men and the women team, they would have had, you know, uh, different uh, approaches um, yeah they would have done different training camps or you know they, they were kind of two separate groups um, while now they they are much more aligned and one of the reasons is uh, uh, again from from my point of view trying to make sure that we can provide the best support uh, it just makes sense that if they uh, if you even from a logistical point of view if they are in the same places at the same time then we can we can actually provide the, the same physiotherapist or the same uh, yeah, the same support at the same time, performance analyst, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that's a change. It's certainly different between, you know, Tokyo now and, and Rio. Yeah. And I think it's a positive one. Um, it's a couple of questions. We're about to wrap it up. Yeah. You've yeah. worked with so many athletes over your time from Cadell Evans to track sprinters now. Yeah. Can you identify one thing or a couple of traits that make them elite, the reason why they are elite? 
I'm a, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking, trying to phrase it. Um, I, I think it sits in, in, in the brain more than in the, in the, in the legs, if you want. Like, mm. um, I, I, I probably struggle to pinpoint it, but we, we've done actually a research study where I, you might actually have been involved back in 2013 in Canberra, uh, where we studied mental fatigue with some cognitive yeah, tasks, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> you, it would have been one of the subjects. And, um, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that that is the solution, the, the answer to your question, but I, I think whether it's motivation or uh, drive or uh, being able to, um, to, to repeat those, you know, uh, high performance behavior, whether, which might be as simple as, again, have a good routine that lets you sleep and recover, et cetera. I, I'm, probably I'm sound like boring because um, trying to make it as if I'm trying to make it sim uh, sound simple, but it's not simple. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's what, yeah, they, they are driven and they want to, yeah. Like if you look it's, at like Kid Evans, Mick Rogers, Caleb Ewan, Sam Wellsford now, what is this? Are they all individual? In, well, obviously they are, but yeah. is they do they all possess something that just obviously they've got huge natural capabilities? Yeah. But from a mental perspective, or the way they approach things, or the way they operate, is there something that makes them so good? Um. Yeah, well, again, it's a desire of maybe, maybe now I'll blame my, you know, I'll say like my classic, uh, I will be got lost in translation. <laughs> I'll blame my English. Um, I, I, I'll use the word selfish, but I'm, I'm, I'm probably it's not the best one. Mm. It's not being selfish, but it's like being self centered, maybe self centered. They, mm. they, they, I'm sure they are all persons that they look at themselves as, you know, I, I am the best and I want they're to prove winners. every, yeah, they're winners. Yeah, right, yeah. Because, and I'm saying this because I remember once talking with an athlete, um, like extremely high level, you know, world champion and et cetera, et cetera. This athlete said, like in a, in a Q&A session with, with teammates, so it was a close, you know, it was a small session, like 10 person in a room, it was kind of intimate if you want. Like there was no lying, it was like a genuine thing. And this person said that I try to make it as a singer. I couldn't, but you know, because that it's just too difficult to make it. Like the competition there, it's so difficult, and and I was okay at cycling, so I I kept going and I'm more champion, and I, so I get, so I guess s someone is just driven by popularity. Like it's difficult to, it's not the physiology itself. It, the, you just want to be, you just want to be in the spotlight, or but but it's different because someone probably enjoys crossing the line in first position. You know, mm. sometimes I I do listen to interviews and and, and you get some cyclists they actually enjoy suffering. Someone just enjoys training hard and, and, you know, the tough part of the sport. And someone doesn't like training. They just want to win, you know. They, they, they enjoy being on the podium. So everything else, you just do it because you know that the reward is so good. Being in the front, in the front page is, is great. And, uh, yeah, that, that's my impression. Again, mm. yeah, it, it, I, I, it, it's still quite broad. People have different motivation. And for sure someone does it because they like, you know, a couple of extra dollars or a lot of extra yeah. dollars. <laughs> they, they, you, you might be driven by money, like, you know, and, and it's fair enough. And, and I don't have any problem with that. Everybody's driven by something slightly, might be driven by something slightly different. Mm. Uh, but maybe being self-centered, making you know, kind of knowing that you are the best. And Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it will make sense. I know. The the one athlete that comes to mind is Alex Edmo when you Edmondson when you talk about guys that can pull it together and I just describe him like he just wins. Yeah. Like you see him training, like I oh, yeah, am like he's good, like obviously a big talent, but 
put their race number on yeah. and he just becomes like this yeah, 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 animal right. that just yeah. wants to win and, yeah. and he does. Yeah. It is a good question. And there will be someone for, driven by this high, you know, completely different um, inner motivation. would be like just representing Australia and bringing the Australian flag on the podium at the Olympic Games, mm. which is very different from like, you know, trying to be a singer or not. But at the end of the day, just this very deep inner motivation of excel and be on top of the podium like uh, and yeah that's what probably makes a difference and it is an interesting question because the way i'm interpreting the question was like what makes a difference being on top of the podium and being a good cyclist mm. because there are a number of you know extremely talented cyclists that they potentially they kind of satisfied when they sign a, a pro contract and they see that as a as their goal uh and they just yeah and they kind of sit there and they, they, they are professional pro cyclists for 10 years or 15 years, but without winning much and they're still enjoying life. But maybe they enjoy life more than staying on the podium. Mm. I often think, you know, even Olympic gold medalists, you know, there is a big difference between someone winning one gold and Anna Mears who like, yeah, they, they just never, not never happy, but you know what I mean? They always want that extra bit. They want to be the most, the most successful Olympic cyclist in the history of Australia. <laughs> it's pretty different from being, you know, I just want to be gold, gold medalist, which is still a lot. Yeah. But someone just wants to be a totally new, uh, another level, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Is there, I guess, the kind of the Team Sky era introduced the one percenters, the, all the, everyone started wearing aero jerseys and... Yeah focusing on that is it something that you think is the next the next one percenter or the next area of focus that's unresearched that's unapplied to cycling you're asking me what that is huh? yeah what, what where do you like if you, if you had this big research budget and you're like we're gonna unlock the next amazing innovation where where would you put your money <laughs> uh, yeah i think i put it on the 99 percent uh <laughs> yeah I think I put it there because that's where you win bike races. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that, that's a good answer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and last one for you as yeah. a, as your career. Yeah. What's left? Oh, uh, well, a lot. Um, well, is, is, yeah. is there one thing that you want to achieve? Have you looked at like, all right, once I finish my career, I want to have done this. Uh, I, I, I guess I would. I wasn't prepared uh, to the question. I, I just hope that, you know, my family and my kids are proud of what I've done and they might, you know, uh, contributed to to make some cyclists win some big races, mm. but potentially more, even more so maybe making uh, more people active. Like, I, I think if, if there is something which is more important than one athlete winning a gold medal is actually having, I guess... Uh, more people, co more colleagues commuting to the office. That probably has a bigger change on the, on the world we live in. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It was like, I think of, when you think of Cadell winning the Tour de France in Australia, I think the biggest, the best achievement out of that was he inspired the nation. Yeah. Everyone started riding their bikes again. Everyone started, so, you yeah. went down a, Victor, a beach road in Victoria and it was filled with bike riders. Yeah, all how of good a is that? Yeah, like that, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Farley. No worries, my pleasure. Um, Thank you. And all the best on your road to Tokyo. Yeah, cheers.